Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. On July 23rd, 1962, Jackie Robinson was inducted to the Baseball Hall of Fame. This was a momentous occasion because it marked the first time an African-American was inducted to the Hall of Fame. In the same year, another first in Hall of Fame history occurred. On August 11th of the same year, the New York Giants and St. Louis Cardinals played in the first ever Pro Football Hall of Fame game. The funny thing is, this game ended up in a tie. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off a DeLorean, the date is August 11th, 1962, and we are in Canton, Ohio because we want to witness the first ever Hall of Fame game. Now, this year, in 2019, we're going to have a Hall of Fame game between the Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons, and it's going to kick off the 100th season of the NFL. That is Thursday, August 1st. But let's get back to this game. You see, on August 11th of 1962, the Giants and the St. Louis Cardinals would play to a tie, and then the following year, On September 7th, the first 17 members will be inducted to the Hall of Fame and football gridiron glory. Now this year, in 2019, like I said, starting the 100th season of the NFL, it is a glorious time to be a fan. And there are going to be eight Hall of Fame legend inductees to be able to get into this year's class. And if you did not listen to last week, then I say mash that pause button, go back to last week, and listen to that one first. Now, it doesn't really matter because one is not dependent upon the other, but hey, there's America. You do how you please, and I suggest go to last week's episode first. But this time, let's go ahead and get into the final four, starting with the dude that would lay down the law. He went by the name of Ty Law, born on February 10th, 1974 in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. His full name was Taiwan Edward Law. He was listed at 5 foot 11 inches and 200 pounds, drafted out of the University of Michigan in 1995, 23rd overall by the New England Patriots. He had a total of 15 seasons in the league, and he was considered one of the more dynamic cornerbacks to play the game. Now, his first big year really didn't happen until 1998, where he was elected as the NFL Alumni Defensive Back of the Year. He led the league in interceptions that year with nine. He was also the co-MVP of the Pro Bowl, which, um, well, I know it doesn't mean a whole lot, but (laughs) it was in the Hall of Fame bio, so we're going to have to bring it up. Now, overall, 
Ty Law, like I said, played 15 years in the NFL. 10 of those 15 years were the New England Patriots, you know, his glory days. During his tenure, he ended up winning four AFC championships, which meant he went to four Super Bowls. He also won three of those four Super Bowls. Super Bowl 36 was the first one that he won, and this was the birth of the dynasty. They shut down Kurt Warner in the greatest show on turf. Now, they were not quite the same as the 1999 season, but still, they were pretty darn good if you ask me, and Ty Law himself had a great performance. He had seven tackles, one of them was an assist, he had two passes defended, and an interception returned 47 yards for a touchdown. So, yep. Tom Brady, Ty Law, you guys have something to talk about. Two years later, Super Bowl 38, taking down the Panthers. He had not quite as much of an impactful game, but still, overall, he had five tackles and one pass defended. Unfortunately, for the latter year of 2004 season, he was injured, so he could not play in that Super Bowl. But he did start at left cornerback against Brett Favre in Super Bowl 31 and lost. And this was before Tom Brady and, you know, that whole Brett Favre with his helmet off, jumping across the field and everything. Uh, we won't really go into that a whole lot because this is supposed to be about a Ty Law thing and not a Brett Favre moment. Like I said, that was his only Super Bowl loss that he was in. Then in 2005, he committed the ultimate sin, or at least for a New England. New England Patriot, that is, he went to the New York Jets. That year, he would lead the league in interceptions again with 10. Then that next year, he would end up joining the Kansas City Chiefs, where he would play two years there and then back to the Jets for the year before finishing out in Denver. Basically, New England Patriots was the majority of his career. And overall in his career, according to ProFootballReference.com, his regular season games totaled 203. In his career, he had 838 tackles, 707 of which were solo, 5 sacks, 7 forced fumbles, 5 recoveries, 108 passes defensed, and 53 interceptions for 828 yards and 7 touchdowns. Overall, he was a 5-time Pro Bowler and first-team All-Pro in 1998 and 2003. He was, of course, elected to the Patriots Team of the Century and named to NFL's All-Decade Team of 2000s. Basically, hey. Everybody around this time frame is going to be in the all-decade team of the 2000s. But speaking of something that's more unique to Ty Law, there's a side interesting knowledge nugget for you here. He's the cousin of legendary Tony Dorsett. He played in high school with Tony's son, who's also a NFL player, well, former NFL player, safety Anthony Dorsett. Now, to kind of get a little bit more of a background on Ty Law and his experiences in high school, there was a book by S.L. Price that was titled... Playing through the whistle, steal football in an American town. Now, this American town we're talking about is Aliquippa, which was Ty Law's high school, and uh, is brought up in there, so you can go ahead and take a look at it. Which, to make it easier on you, I'm going to go ahead and leave a link to this book in the show notes for you. And by the way, you can get to the show notes through your podcast player choice or by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com. Again, that's thefootballhistorydude.com. Also, while you're at it, I ask that you please subscribe for free to this show by mashing that little subscribe button on your podcast player of choice. That way you get the hottest, freshest out the press episodes well each and every week. Well, let's kind of transition into from defense to offense and someone that will command the line, Mr. Kevin Moai. He was born on January 23rd, 1971 in Savannah, Georgia. His full name 
was Kevin James Moai, which, uh, no, it's not that Kevin James, but sure, the body type, a little bit similar. And he was listed at six foot four inches, 289 pounds out of LSU. He played for a total of 16 seasons. So this guy had a little bit of a career. How did he get in the NFL? Well, he was drafted by the Seahawks in 1994, 36th overall. He started his career as a right guard and he played there for two seasons. Then they realized, uh, yeah, this dude's a center. I'm going to go ahead and put you as the commander of the line and that's where you're going to be the rest of your career. So he would have a total of four successful seasons in Seattle, but then his biggest impact will come when he signed with the New York Jets. He anchored the line in New York for eight seasons. His first season there, well, he helped the team win the division title and they had the birth to the AFC Championship game. Another claim to fame he can have is while he was with the New York Jets, also now, Buddy, Hall of Fame running back Curtis Martin, had 10 years over 1,000 yards, and seven of those came with Mawai leading the way. But then in 2006, he was signed by the Titans as an unrestricted free agent. Reason why he was an unrestricted free agent was because this was right after he suffered his first major injury of his career, which was a torn tricep in his left arm, which I think is a pretty important muscle for someone just going to push people around all day. But it wasn't like he was done. In 2008, with the Titans, they allowed an NFL low 12 sacks all season, which was tied with the Broncos that year. Part of it was just a five-game stretch where they had no sacks allowed. Not like the Titans nowadays sometimes, but they were one of the top dogs during a certain point in time, which Mawai was known to consistently open up huge holes for running backs. In 13 of his 16 pro seasons, his team produced a 1,000-yard rusher. But probably the best season, which was near the twilight, was that even though Curtis Martin would be a Hall of Famer, he helped pave the way for Chris Johnson, C2K, which was, you know that year? Yeah, Chris Johnson ran for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. That's a long time. Let's stick with 2,000 yards. <laughs> and to top it all off, this was the season that was Kevin Mawai's last year. So I'd say blocking for a 2,000-yard rusher, that's not a bad way to go out. But another thing that was pretty cool and impressive, I thought, was in his 16th season this last year, he earned himself a trip to the Pro Bowl. And overall, he did have eight Pro Bowls, six All-Pro selections, five times All-AFC, and as expected, he was selected to the NFL's All-Decade team of the 2000s. And something that was also cool, which he maybe even had more of an impact on the game, he was selected as the NFL PA president in 2008, and he served until 2012. This was... Uh, Basically, he was the leader right after the passing of Gene Upshaw, and he was considered on the NFLPA's website as one of the NFLPA's 60 legends, and his biggest contribution during this leadership was in 2011. We talked about this in the past. 2011, there was a lockout, and he helped the players get back on the field, and one player that he helped get back on the field was this next guy, Mr. Ed Reed. So Ed Reed was born on September 11th, 1978 in St. Rose, Louisiana. His full name was Edward Earl Reed Jr., listed at 5 foot 11 inches and 200 pounds out of University of Miami, Florida. He was selected 24th overall by the Baltimore Ravens in the 2002 draft, and of course, he would be on one of those <laughs> multiple dominant performances from a defensive side of the ball for the Baltimore Ravens throughout his career. 
he would end up playing a total of 12 seasons, and all but one of them would be with the Ravens. And speaking of those 12 seasons, he came out his rookie year swinging. He started all 16 games and quickly became one of the top safeties in the league. That rookie year, he had 85 tackles, 71 of them were solo, 5 interceptions, 12 passes defensed, 1 sack, and a fumble recovery. And he led Baltimore in interceptions that rookie year. So yep, starting off the gate, starting strong. But that was not the only time he led the Ravens in interceptions. He would end up leading the team in interceptions 7 of the 11 seasons that he was there. And defeating the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 44. That was probably his greatest moment as a player because they were able to hoist that Lombardi trophy. But you remember that that game? That was the blackout game where they had the power cut for like 30 minutes or whatever. And of course, there's controversies and such. But in this game, he had five tackles, one interception and a pass defense. And the victory that really was during the season a way for Ed Reed to be the leader on the field because Ray Lewis got hurt during that year and Ed Reed helped be the leader to get them to the playoffs. And last season that he played was with the Texans and then a little bit with the Jets, just basically trying to stay in the leagues. And overall, he'll be remembered as being a Baltimore Raven. He holds the Ravens record for most interceptions in his career and also in a season. And some other cool interception records. In the NFL, he holds the most career interception return yardage and also has the two longest interception returns at 106 and 107 yards so that's pretty good uh, presence there his overall numbers were 174 total regular season games for 643 tackles 531 of which were solo 64 interceptions for 1590 yards and seven touchdowns six sacks and 13 fumble recoveries and oh yeah he went to the pro bowl nine times All-Pro for six times, NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 2004, which that's that's probably the most impressive one on this list. Of course, yeah, sure, NFL Decade All-Team, 2000s and such, but uh, beyond that, another interesting nugget for you. According to the Baltimore Ravens site, Ed Reed is the only player in NFL history to score a touchdown off of a punt return, a blocked punt, an interception, and a fumble recovery. So I say that's... uh, pretty good company to be in and he often was kind of overshadowed by being the Scotty Pippen to Ray Lewis that kind of deal but overall he was able to just be a dominant force himself but now for a guy who played the same position but quite a bit longer time ago than Ed Reed did the old-timer pick for this year's class Mr. Johnny Robinson he was born September 9th 1938 in Delhi Louisiana his full name, Johnny Nolan Robinson, listed at six foot one inches and 205 pounds, drafted also out of LSU, but this time in 1960. He was the all-conference running back over at LSU. But didn't I just say safety? Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. There was a unique situation, though. This is the first year the AFL was in play. The Detroit Lions drafted Robinson third overall for the NFL. They wanted them to play running back. However, He was also drafted by the Dallas Texans in the first round, later to be changed to the Kansas City Chiefs. Robinson, in his infinite wisdom, decided to choose the upstart AFL League, which probably worked out for him. He would end up playing running back for the first two seasons, but then he would end up moving to safety for the remaining 10 seasons. 
And in those first two seasons as running back, which happened to be the first two seasons of the franchise as the Kansas City Chiefs as well, he would rush for 658 yards, six touchdowns on 150 carries. He also caught 77 passes for 1,228 yards and nine touchdowns. But like I said, he moved to safety. Coach Hank Stram at the time, he saw his size, speed, aggressiveness, and leadership, and he said, I think you'd be best suited for the other side of the ball, dude, so I'm putting you at safety. And let's just say, it was probably a good move overall, considering I'm talking about him on a Hall of Fame inductee episode, so it worked out. In fact, in his second game as a safety, he had two interceptions against the Oakland Raiders. And then the AFL championship game in his first year as a safety, he caught another two interceptions against the Houston Oilers to beat them 20-7 in the championship game. But his long career had many successful seasons. He was known to show up really for the big games even. Super Bowl four, yep, Kansas City Chiefs against the Minnesota Vikings, considered a historic victory for the Chiefs. He had two tackles, one fumble recovery, and an interception. The 1972 Chiefs media guys said he did this with three broken ribs. He was the third leading interceptor in AFL history with 43 picks, and of course, named to the AFL's all-time team. So, we don't have to say which decade because there was only one, the 1960s. In 1966, possibly his best year, he led the AFL with 10 picks. But, (laughs) wait a second, he also led the NFL with 10 more picks again in 1970. Like I said, though, that was part of the NFL because the leagues had merged by then. Five times he was selected to the All-AFL team and also voted to the AFL All-Star Game six times, then the AFC-NFC Pro Bowl too when they merged. Johnny was known as Sweet Johnny the Candyman. I don't really know why. I guess I had to go figure that out. But an interesting nugget for you. The Texans, which turned in later to the Chiefs record when Johnny had at least one interception, was 35-3-1. and one. It's like it's like the kiss of death, baby. And so maybe that's why a sweet Johnny just Johnny gets an interception. We're going to get some candy at the end of here. And But speaking of the kiss of death, this wraps up the 2019 Hall of Fame class. And I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Football History Dude. And we're able to gain some gridiron knowledge nuggets of this year's inductees to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now, next week, we're going to take a look at a pressing topic from last year's NFC Championship game. That infamous no-call-on-the-obvious-pass-interference which led to a monumental change in the way the game is officiated in the upcoming year. I'll give you a clue. It all revolves around instant replay. But it's not good enough just to look at what's coming up. We have to take the DeLorean back to the evolution of instant replay and figure out how it's impacted the game throughout history. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. Make sure you're the first to get the next episode. Please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman aka the football history dude and i wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the sports history network our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear and if you didn't know it already we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics in fact here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. 
Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.